Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us through Jonah's prayer how we should pray, how we should realize our need for you, our need for forgiveness, our need to be willing to do your will. Amen. Okay. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. In your Bible or in your handout, which is printed for you. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let me read in Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's on. Great. Uh, please uh, do keep the Bible. If you've got your Bible there, keep it in front of you to Jonah, or if you've got the piece of paper um, please do keep it there as I remind my students uh, in Cape Town, whenever I preach at chapel, uh, they don't need to hear my voice and uh, you don't need to hear my voice today. What we all really need to hear is God speak to us through his word. So please keep that open as you go. I uh, also want to say a uh, shout out to any South Africans here. Are there any South Africans here? Uh, wonderful. Uh, I'd just like to apologize, first of all. Um, before I moved to Southern Africa, I, I thought I knew how to cook meat, but uh, the, I have been taught the way of the braai, so you are most welcome to invite me over anytime you want. Uh, let's pray uh, as we get into God's Word together. Uh, gracious, loving Father, thank you that you have gathered us from different places. You have brought us here today. Uh, you are our God. You have redeemed us and you speak to us through your word and the power of your spirit. So Lord, I just pray that you would, that you would work in our hearts and minds, 
that we might worship and glorify you as we ought, and that we would find great joy and peace in doing this. Amen. Well, I wonder how you are feeling as you come to church today. Like, how are you actually feeling as you rolled in? How do you feel like you're going in your faith? As, I, as you drove to church today, were you feeling more like a sinner or were you feeling more like a saint? Now, I actually love driving to church on a Sunday because you look around and you kind of just think that everyone else is probably going to church as well, so you kind of just smile and wave. But, uh, but Monday morning, it's back on, isn't it, when you get on the road? See, if you arrived at church today feeling like there's just stuff going on in your heart that you feel like you have to hide. You kind of feel like you, you, you wave to Scott and say, okay, Scott, just, just don't ask too many questions, Scott, okay? Not today. Or maybe you're feeling pretty good. Maybe you're feeling like your Bible reading and your praying's been going well, and so you kind of feel like the Lord's smiling upon you as you come here today. See, how do you feel as you're here today? True story. Uh, back in 1997, I had a relatively brief but very intense battle with cancer. Now, surgery and four months of vomiting from the chemo did the trick, and I've been cured for more than 20 years, so I'm not after your sympathy here, okay? Now, I've been a Christian for a couple of years at this time, I knew I was saved by grace, but 1997 was a rough year and it was kind of tumultuous. One thing that made it rougher for me that year was the day that I was first well enough to go back to church after starting treatment. So I was greeted at the door by an older Christian man who said to me, Cancer! Well, I guess that means you must have really sinned. Now, while I knew enough of the gospel at that point to know that that's not how it works, I've got to say, I, I, felt, I left church that day just feeling crushed. I didn't feel like going back. But it's not just the dumb things that we sometimes say to each other that can crush us. Sometimes... Even as we just sing the words, we see them there, we know they're true, but there's something about it that we just, we just feel disconnected. We know it's true, but we don't feel it. Sometimes we come here and we just play the happy face Sunday game because we just feel condemned or broken or out of sync. We, we feel just like a rotten sinner, not like a saint. Friends, I'm actually so glad that the book of Jonah is in the Bible. I'm so glad that you're doing it here as a church. And I'm so glad that I get to preach on chapter 2 because the message of Jonah is a message for us today. And it's a word that shows us that it's okay to feel confused. It's actually okay to feel unworthy. It's okay to not feel good enough. Because we're not good enough, but God is. Now, to understand the impact of the book of Jonah, I think we need to understand just a little bit of what's going on in Jonah's day. 
And how Jonah is only useful to the Lord when he realizes that he is the sinner in the story, not the saviour in the story. Now, Brian mentioned last week that Jonah was a prophet in the 8th century BC. And uh, he was sent to the northern part of Israel at this time. He was sent up north during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And King Jeroboam II just kept leading the people away from worshipping God at the temple in the south and led them to worship at idolatrous temples. In fact, two golden calves. You know, you can imagine how well that's going to turn out in both the north and the south of that part. And so while Jeroboam did evil in the eyes of the Lord, actually through Jonah's ministry, the Lord still used Jeroboam to give his people peace. Now, the northern tribes had been separated from the southern tribes for hundreds of years. And as Jonah goes to them, while the Lord was doing good things, the people were still turning away from the Lord. And so the book of Jonah emphasizes over and over again that God is not just a generic God who we can worship on our terms at our place in our way, but God is the Lord, the covenant God of his people, and he's supposed to be worshipped his way on his terms and in his place, which at this time is the temple in Jerusalem. Now, this emphasis on Yahweh, he's seen, I'm sure you know that whenever you read in the Bible, you, know, we see, you see the word Lord, and it's capital L, small, you know, small cap, O-R-D, that, that's the word Yahweh. So, right throughout this point, there's an emphasis that Yahweh is God, and Yahweh is the God who saved his people to bless his people but so that they could be a blessing to all nations. But the problem is here, if God's people won't listen to God's word, how can they be a blessing to anyone else? And here we find Jonah, one of God's own people, a prophet no less, kind of a guardian of the covenant, and even he's refusing to listen to God's word. So how can Jonah be a blessing to the nations? Well, Jonah chapter 2 gives us the answer. So I think the first thing the Lord wants to remind us of from Jonah 2 is that if we're going to offer the hope of the gospel to those outside the church, then we need to start with the realization that we're actually no better than them in and of ourselves. If we want the Lord to use us to extend his kingdom and his gospel blessings to other people outside the church, then the starting point has to be our own humble repentance and acknowledgement of our own sinfulness. See, look with me at Jonah chapter 2, actually from Jonah 1.17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, 
In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, and yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The first thing to kind of just get our head around here in Jonah 2 is that being in the belly of the fish in Jonah 2 is actually part of God's salvation, not his judgment. In 1.17, we're told that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But chapter 2, verse 2, there Jonah describes his experience of being in the ocean just before he was in the belly of the fish. And Jonah describes that time before he was in the fish. He says, he says I, was in, I was deep in the realm of the dead. Now, fun fact, literally the Hebrew says that he was in the belly of death. He was in the belly of Sheol. So Jonah is recounting his ordeal here and he's framing it about the two sides, what things were like when he was in the belly of death deep in the ocean, and now what it's like that is in the belly of the fish. See, here, death is the place of judgment, and the fish is the place of quite an unexpected rescue, and no doubt a pretty stinky one. See, in chapter 1, Jonah knows, he knows that the storm is from the Lord. He told the sailors that. He knows that the storm was God's judgment on his sinful rejection of God's word. And here in chapter 2, as he reflects on his time in the ocean depths, he acknowledges that he was experiencing God's judgment. For him, it was a specific judgment under the covenant that he was rejecting. In chapter 1... We read that it was the sailors who hurl him into the ocean. But what does Jonah say in chapter 2, verse 3? He declares that you, Lord, hurled me into the depths. Your waves and your breakers have swept over me. In verse 3, where it says, your currents swirled about me. Now, in the prophetic books, the word that's translated currents here usually just carries the idea of a flood of judgment. Throughout the minor prophets. See, when Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the ocean, he knows that this isn't just part of living in a broken world. This isn't the ordinary suffering that we all experience. He knows that this is not an accident because he specifically recognizes that he is God's covenant prophet experiencing God's covenant judgment. And recognizing what's happening when he's brought to the very end of himself, he has a literal deathbed conversion, if you like. That's also kind of a seabed conversion. And he cries out to Yahweh. Finally, he prays. He didn't pray before, but finally, he prays. And when we strip back the imagery, the message of verses 1 to 6 is clear. Look at verse 1. 
from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. In verse 6, you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. See, Jonah's just brought to the end of himself. He recognizes that he's no better than anyone else. And his only hope is to cry out to the God who saves. But note here that at the center of this, sec- this first section, Jonah knows exactly where his salvation will come from. Look at verse 4. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. In a context of the battle of you know, the right way to worship, when he's ministering up north amongst the idolatry, he knows that it's from the Lord who is at the temple that his salvation comes. So this is actually a beautiful picture of faith, simple faith. Jonah recognizes his sin, he recognizes that he deserves God's judgment, but he also recognizes that his only hope of salvation is for the Lord to save him on the Lord's terms and in the Lord's way. And so he looks to the Jerusalem temple, that place in the Old Testament where sins were forgiven and people were restored to fellowship with God. On God's terms, in God's way. See, the starting point for mission to the nations, for mission to Mount Barker, is repentance. And without repentance, there is no mission. Like Jonah, we're not the saviour in this story. The first thing we are is we are sinners who need the saviour. If we want the Lord to use us to extend his kingdom and his gospel to others, then Jonah wants to remind us that the starting point is the humble acknowledgement that we need forgiveness just as much as those Ninevites, just as much as those Israelites up north. We need forgiveness just as much as those to whom we go and proclaim the hope of forgiveness. Do you know what the number one qualification is to be a missionary with CMS? The number one qualification is a rock-solid conviction that you are a sinner saved by grace. Otherwise, you have nothing to offer, and anything that you do offer will be tainted and corrupted and confusing. Well, once Jonah is brought to the end of himself, point two, when he recognizes his own need, then he's ready to play his part in God's mission to the nations. In verses two to six, he's told us what he was thinking when he was in the belly of the ocean depths. And in verses seven to nine, he reminds us from the belly of the fish, he reminds us that being saved by God's grace on God's terms is the way that God loves us. See, Jonah specifically reminds us that we're saved because of God's great love for us, not because of what we do for him. I'd been hanging around church for a couple of years before I came to faith, trying to do it on my own, trying to sing the songs, 
they were boring. Uh, there were no other young people around, but I thought, I, I've got to do this thing if I'm going to be saved. But over time, I couldn't do it. I just didn't have it in me. So I just, eventually, I just kind of wandered more and more into the ways I was doing before. And finally, uh, after a pub crawl, I was an engineering student, after a pub crawl went horribly wrong, I spent two weeks, two weeks in hospital, and I thought, I'm never going back to church again. I'm not good enough. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And at that point, an old lady who I never knew, she wrote me a letter reminding me that we're saved because of what God has done for us in Christ, not by what we do for him. We are saved by his relentless love for us, not by our fickle love for him. And that made all the difference. See, look with me the Bible from verses 7 to 9. Verse 7 recaps the whole of verses 2 to 6, but it does so in preparation for Jonah to declare the heart of the Lord's covenant with his people in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I'll make good. I will say, salvation comes from Yahweh, the Lord. Now, these are actually simple, I think, yet beautiful verses. Here, Jonah reminds us of the simultaneous beauty of the gospel and the horror of trying to do things our own way. Just like Jeroboam II with his political games with Assyria and his fake religiosity with the golden calves, whenever we think that we can secure the good life or secure peace or secure happiness on our own terms, in our own way and in our own strength, whenever, like Jonah, we think we can get away with rejecting God's good word for us, Whenever we think that, oh, well, God's a loving God, he'll just accept me as I am. He has to on my terms. Whenever we think like that, what we're really doing is choosing to reject God's love. Because God's love is made known through God's way of salvation. So the Lord won't let us, he won't let us get away with it. Because he loves us. See, these are serious matters that we are called to bring before the world. Now, when I was a boy, I was blessed to have a tradie as a dad, and my dad taught me how to arc weld. Okay? Uh, now, I would love spending time uh, making things with him, and I think it was quite amazing that he actually loved me and brought me into the experience of welding pieces of metal together 300 amps and 5,000 degrees Celsius. And I was a kid, okay? But that's a serious thing. And if you get the power cables mixed up or your hand in the wrong spot, then you die, okay? So when you're doing that, you do it dad's way on dad's terms. So when I would weld, you know, if it, I had to listen. But there'll be no point in me turning around to my dad saying, oh, Dad, 
if you are really a loving dad, then you will let me world my way, okay? You'll let me do it how I want, okay? You'll let me do it according to my ignorance of what I'm actually doing. No, the only way to remain within my dad's love at that point is to listen to him and do things his way. Do you look at verse 8 again? Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So let's be clear, when people choose their own spiritual path or when they, what they're really doing is they're turning away from God's love so they can't say that God will be loving and just accept what they're doing. But the, the word for love here. It's hesed, it's God's faithful covenant love. It's his promise-keeping love. It's that he's not going to change it kind of love, okay? It's rock solid. See, telling God that why he should accept you and your life on your terms, that's kind of just like choosing to arc world naked while you're standing knee-deep in a puddle of water. It just doesn't end well. So Jonah's final words here sums up both his experience and his message. Verse 9, he says, But I, but I will say, salvation comes from the Lord, from him, on his terms and his way. Now, you know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But do you realize that the word so there doesn't mean so much, it means in this way. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son. Which brings me to our third, final and brief point from Matthew chapter 12. So when Jesus tells the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they are only going to be given the sign of Jonah... He's telling them that they are going to be shown their sin and shown the real depths of their need for a saviour. See, just like Jonah needed to accept his own sin before he could proclaim God's salvation to others, Jesus tells the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they will never understand the Lord's salvation. They will never understand their need for a saviour, until they see what the saviour has to do for them. In chapter 12, uh, we read, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I think we tend to focus on the fact that Jonah was spat out after three days and Jesus was raised on the third day. But note here that when the Pharisees and the teachers come to the Messiah, when they come to God incarnate... When they come before him and say, oh, show us a sign, will you, why we should listen to you, he says, oh, you're not going to understand who I am 
until you understand your need for what I'm going to do. See, I never cease to be amazed at how badly well-intentioned people, yes, I'm coming to the picture, how badly well-intentioned people can misunderstand Jesus. See, a few years back, I was looking for a kid's Bible to give away as a present, and I came across this demonic piece of trash at a well-known Christian bookstore. See what it says? Blessed are all the good people, Jesus said, for they will live happily forever in heaven. See, that is literally what the Pharisees thought. They thought Jesus, if he was the Messiah, he's just going to come and give them a, a participation prize and a gold star and a pat on the back. This is what Jonah thought before he's brought to the end of himself. Jesus didn't come just to teach us a better way or to encourage us in our own way. He came to suffer and die to pay for our sin. He came to pay the price of God's covenant judgment. See, the average Joe down the street will ask for proof that Jesus, that they need Jesus to be the Messiah. The thing to show them is the sign of Jonah. Point them to what Christ has to do in order for them to be saved so that they can live happily forever in heaven. Well, where does this leave us? I think Jonah 2 reminds us that at the end of the day, the only sent saints are saved sinners. So it's actually really, really important that we're honest about this with ourselves and that we're honest about this with those outside the church. How are you feeling today? Do you feel good enough for God's love? Do you feel good enough for God to use, for him to use you in his salvation plans? Well, I, I kind of hope not. I kind of just hope that you feel like you need a saviour and you have one. I hope you feel like those outside of the church need a saviour and they can have one. See, the fundamental prerequisite to be used by God to make his salvation known to others is for us to find our rest, our peace in Christ's salvation for us. I think we need the sign of Jonah. I think we tend to think, oh, the Pharisees, oh, they needed the sign of Jonah. I think often we need to be reminded of the sign of Jonah. We need to be forever reminded that Christ was crucified, Christ died, and Christ was buried three days in the belly of the earth to take the judgment that we deserve because we're not good enough, but Jesus is. See, like Jonah, we're actually saved through judgment, not just from it. It's like our husbands and wives, you know this. You never really accept forgiveness until you accept the fact that you need forgiveness. Like Jonah, we'll never be any good at making God's salvation known to those outside the church until we make peace with the fact that we need his salvation here 
inside the church too. And once we rejoice and delight in his grace and forgiveness. See, at the end of the day, if you know that you are a forgiven sinner, then know that as you leave here today, you are also a sent saint. Sent into the city to join with Jonah in declaring that salvation is from the Lord and only from the Lord. This is our only hope. And so this is our only message. Shall we pray? Gracious, loving Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Lord, fix our eyes on Christ that we may know both our need for a Savior, but also know the peace of having a Savior who loves us and gave himself for us. Lord, help us to find our rest in this great truth and help us to make this great truth known to those outside. Amen.